The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Wednesday. I'm your host, James Anderson, and we're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Uh, Really cool format, uh, best ball, easiest place to play, uh, fantasy baseball, nice price point, good way to kind of get back in, into the swing of things. Uh, and fortunate to be joined this week by Rob DiPietro, at Dead Pull Hitter, a good buddy of mine, really great player, uh, you know, really, really fun to talk about this type of stuff with. And uh, thanks so much for joining me, Rob. How are you doing? Good, James. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to join you and the Rotowire crew. I'm um, doing well. Um, really cracking down on my fantasy prep for draft season. Um, got some big fab leagues this year. And um, yeah, just a lot of exciting things happening. Um, one thing that uh, currently just happened actually yesterday, I want to tell you now, but um, getting two-thirds of the Launch Angle crew back together, the Launch Angle podcast crew, Jeff Zimmerman and Rob Silver, I'm going to take over Van Lee's role as the host and going to, yeah, we're going to bring that back. Um, It was always, you know, one of my go-to favorite pods and it would be a pleasure to work with those guys. So I'm super excited about that and yeah trying to um set up a patreon page for the season um maybe i can get it going by march to you know get some prep stuff as long as some in-season tools that are going to help everyone do better in their league so a lot of exciting things happening man and um just just to say that all this is a culmination of meeting everyone in this awesome you know sphere that we're in and just being motivated and inspired by everyone else, like yourself, like Jeff Ponta had on the podcast, every single person that I bring on and I've been interacting with, it's just, you know, I have them on for a specific reason. They're going to give me good knowledge, but they're also people that I've been looking up to in terms of the work ethic they're putting in. And so I'm just hoping to follow on down that path like everybody else, you know? This is very cool. Breaking news right here on the pod. Uh, yeah, I love love the launch angle. Uh, love Rob. Love Jeff. Uh, they bring really great insight to the table. And I mean, you're you're great too, man. Like I, I love talking about just any any player I bring up when you and I are, are talking offline. You've always got some sort of nugget uh, that you've already kind of uncovered from from your prep. 
Um, I mean, you're as prepared as they come. So uh, that'll be, that'll be fantastic. Um, did you say when that, that's kind of firing back up when, when episodes will be dropping? Hoping to do it um, by next Thursday. That's the, that's the plan right now for um, Thursday of next week to have our first episode out. That's really cool. And, uh, and coincidentally, and- or go ahead. Oh no! Uh, yeah, Rob, you're saying Rob is going to be <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Rob, Rob Silver's coming on the pod next week. Uh, at least as as long as uh, nothing pops up. So, be uh, having two of the two of the Robs. Two of the, the Robs, <laughs> and we're going right into the kind of analysis that they were really so great at for you know pre- um, prep season, draft prep season. They always covered the deep part of ADP that no one else was covering. That's why even in my team breakdown that i've been doing on the pro hitter podcast it's me and ryan roof um your your colleague have been just really trying to hit the people that we're not really hearing about on twitter or in other podcasts and especially helpful for like draft champions leagues to really uncover some deep nuggets and that's what we'll be doing we'll be starting from round 11 um and going to round 30 and trying to hit every single round as we anticipate the main event season so it'll get everyone ready for the fab season yeah no absolutely those those pods were were a blast last year looking forward to for for that to, to fire back up um and with this being sort of you know i think now everyone is sort of fully getting into the swing of things you know you got the the roadwire pods back five episodes a week uh, we got a sponsor back, Underdog Fantasy. Uh, so I, I thought it'd be fun to just kind of talk about what you and I have have on the docket as far as uh, non NFBC leagues, just because I think you know that we're all all of us who play the NFBC, it it becomes something very important to us, um, something that we're we're really focused on. But I think you know I, I'm guilty of probably talking too much about. Uh, that specific host site um, and, you know, not acknowledging some of the other formats that, that are out there that, that we play in. Um, right. Right. And I, I do, I do think a lot of uh, analysis, you know, when you're, you're talking about like high stakes analysis, I do think that that's often very applicable to even the, the lowest stakes leagues. Um, Cause that's, that's sort of where the market kind of moves first typically. Uh, but you know, I play in probably I'm, I'm over, I'm underwater in terms of how many leagues I'm in right now. I, I probably probably need to, to uh, unload a couple of them, but as I'll get to it, it's, it's tough uh, to, to get rid of some of these leagues that you really care about. But, but first I want to start with you, Rob. So what, I mean, I know you, you play in NFPC, uh, love it. You're really successful at it. Uh, but what are some, some other formats that, that you're going to be playing in this year? Um, yeah, before I get into that, James, I want to say I agree with you. I think it has a trickle-down effect from NFBC-style leagues to lower-level leagues, like 10-team leagues, I'm saying, um, smaller team sizes. And, you know, one thing I hear a lot about is how, you know, um, maybe certain pods like myself maybe niche toward the NFBC. But I feel like I listen to a lot of pods, like, tons of them and sometimes they'll say head to head and sometimes they'll say points leagues and to me i don't even hear like the specification is it espn like like there's so many different points leagues so many different point formats so many different category leagues so many different styles of keeper leagues so it's so it's so hard to get into like the level of 
which league is about. And I hear a lot of podcasts doing that. And I'm still like, well, now I'm even more confused because I don't even know what kind of head to head league you're talking about, you know? So I feel like when we're talking about that, we have a general format. Like I had friends in head to head leagues who listen to my podcast and they're like, uh, it's, it's perfectly applicable to head to head or even like just to look ahead to the next week and stuff. Um, and I think that's easier because we kind of had a general understanding of the player pool, but everything, like you said, can be looked at in a smaller lens once you get the broader picture. So um, anyway, that was a little rant, but, but, but that being said, I got a head to head weekly category um, keeper auction uh, five by five save plus holds. Um, it's an auction contract league. Uh, 10 keepers have had that league since 2007 is when I started it and it's still going strong. Um, I do a head to head daily category keeper league um, with five keepers and that's on fan tracks and a 12 team uh, Roto dynasty league that's on fan tracks and also 20 team Roto Dynasty League that's also on fan tracks. Uh, and the Dynasty Leagues are relatively new. That's probably like three years I'm into that. Um, and probably going to do about five to ten best balls this year. I'm in my first slow draft right now. Started off with an easy $3 draft just to get accustomed to the rules. I f- forgot I actually did like four drafts last year from just drafting because it's so easy to draft even a fast draft from your app on your phone. And that's why I did it. It was like just hanging out in my bed and I just fired up a couple of drafts and I forgot about them because that's the thing about best balls. <laughs> you know, you, you, you have nothing to look at, which I love the drafting part, but the in season part that we love about fab is sorely missing from, from best ball. So uh, I got an email say, Oh, you, there's money in your account at the end of the day. I was like, oh, so cool. So I going to get into some more this year and I'm going to try to put a little more effort and strategy into um, the league this year. So Pretty pretty well diversified, some category leagues, some dynasty, some keeper. Um, and it's a good mix. And I think everything helps each other. Um, I hear some people maybe say that it affects their play if they do different style of leagues. But I think it only makes me smarter to understand replacement value and of all different formats. And it just brings a level of knowledge to every other format. So, um what about you? You said you're underwater. You, you, you got a lot of leagues going on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, well, and yeah, to your point about those, those underdog best ball drafts, uh, I could still, I could still join a bunch of those and it wouldn't affect my in-season management. It might, yep. if I did too many of them, it might affect my off-season prep, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's the great thing about those is, is it's not going to add more work on your plate in-season. And it's um, so different from us because you know how we're like so in depth into DCs, 50 yeah. rounds, different, you know, two catches, underdog is, you know, uh, just infield, outfielders and pitching, <laughs> you know, and it's so simplified. And, and in a way at first I thought, Oh, this is, this is dumb, you know, but then I found th- like the challenge in its simplicity. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, it's pretty cool. It's different. It's a different kind of idea. Take, you know, we really have to shorten, you know, our level of uh, the guys that we like to really target. And it's, it's fun. Yeah. So uh, for my leagues, I am in uh, three head to head points, keeper leagues, two on CBS, one on ESPN. And I've been in those leagues uh, since 
I think I've been in two of them since about 2006 and one of them maybe since 2008. So that's, that's my uh, college age years. These were the leagues I joined. These were the leagues I was playing in uh, back in the, the late 2000s and still in all three of those. I mean, those would be the, the sort of obvious cuts for me. Uh, but I just, I'm in those with my friends I went to college with. So like that, that part of it makes it not obvious. Um, I'm in the, the Rotowire Stake League, which is, it's the size of the league is, is always evolving. Last year it was a 14 team, uh, just five by five Roto auction. Half the top half of the league gets free stake dinners from the bottom half of the league. Uh, I'm in the Rotowire Staff Auto New League. I, I love the Auto New format. Um, totally different thing than, than Dynasty uh, or Redraft, but I think it's, it's very fun. Uh, I'm in the Devils Rejects uh, Dynasty League, which is a 20-team OBP uh, 5x5 Roto Dynasty League on CBS. Uh, you've probably heard me talk about that in the past, but that one, it's uh, it's kind of an interesting. It's kind of in between a keeper and a dynasty to me because you you only keep 28, and what that does is it really sort of devalues uh, non-elite prospects. So. Uh, you know, a lot of teams might not even keep a single prospect when they cut down to 28. And so it just kind of adds a, a different wrinkle there. Uh, I'm in three other dynasty leagues on fan tracks. Uh, those are, those are a lot of fun. I think they all started within the past five years. Um, I'm in AL labor, which is an AL only uh, industry auction league. Uh, very fortunate to be in that league. Just a bunch of legends in that one. And then I'm in the Tout Wars Draft and Hold League, which is a 15-team Roto uh, mix league with a, a snake draft. And that one is uh, a lot of fun as well. Uh, a lot of great players in that league. So uh, that's a lot of leagues, and that's not counting any of my NFPC leagues. Yeah, yeah. And you got a, like a an AL-only auction. You know, you got the 15-team Roto snake. You got your 14-team Roto auction. So you got a, like a nice diversity of different size leagues and different formats as well, different drafting styles. I like it. And I thought your points uh, earlier were really good too about it. it's just it is – it's so much easier to give advice on, you know, a podcast type of format or talk about um, – you know, five by five roto leagues on a podcast than it is to talk about points uh, because, like you said, the points it, there's no uniform scoring, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you're right. Like we shouldn't we shouldn't get in the habit of saying, "Oh, this guy's," you know, for the most part, starting pitchers more valuable in points leagues than they are in roto leagues. I think that that's most points leagues, uh, but even with batters, like I'm in those three head to head points uh, keeper leagues I'm in. I don't think a single one of them uh, detracts for hitter strikeouts. Uh, but I do know that's like kind of a common trope is that in points leagues, you downgrade the hitters who strike out a lot. Uh, actually in those leagues, you, you bump up these sort of, um, you know, prime Joey Gallo type of players where the, there's a ton of walks because you're not getting punished for the strikeouts. You're getting credit for the walks and you're getting credit for the home runs. So um, very tough to give good kind of podcast content on those formats. Um but I do think, yeah, like we we both kind of said, there is there is a trickle down there. Uh, usually, like the guys who get added in Fab in the main event, you know, you can go, you can listen to someone talk about that and go add those guys in your home league a couple weeks later. Um, 
so yeah. Uh, any, uh, you know, the dynasty leagues you play in, um, is there a, a sort of a favorite type of format for you or maybe even including the keeper leagues? Like what, what's your kind of favorite non NFBC uh, format to play in right now? Um, I think I still really hold dear my, my home keeper league that's auction, you know, 10 teams, keepers, we have contracts and I just love that. I mean, it's, it's, it's one, it's the only draft I'll, I'll show up to, or, or do with a piece of paper and a pencil. You know, we have 10 keepers and it's 27 roster spots. They literally write down like 40 guys that I'm interested in at a certain price. And it's so much fun because the, the one thing I love about that is we grow tendencies and we see the other owners' tendencies to do things. This guy always gets two $20 catchers. This guy always gets two $20 closers, you know, and you could bank on it. This, this guy's, you know, this one player in my home league, um, Kevin Gall, he's, he's been like the, the rookie haven since we started it. You know, he's been the guy who had Acuna for a dollar and Trout for a dollar. He's always had the guys ahead of time. So at one point, everyone else in the draft was like, every time he yelled out a dollar for a guy in the draft, you know, like on a rookie, someone went too because they, they were catching on to anyone he threw out. They were like, well, if he's always right on it, I'm going to do it. So I like those kind of leagues where you have that, you know, all that involved in because it's such a big strategy onto itself. I mean, the dynasty has be, really made a good impression on me since I've been doing it. It's really helped with late draft champion specs and draft and holds. Um, and the 20-team league I joined is super Super intense, super good. Toby Battle Crazy's in it. Um, Dylan White, uh, Brian Slack, and it's it's a tough league. You know they have they have stud teams, the three of them, and everyone's just like fighting to get to the like level. Um, I took over a team two years ago, Steve Weimer, and we did a dispersal draft from the two teams that dropped out, and I went super young. I got uh, Wit and J Rod and Adley, and I just played for. You know, um, taking that build-up approach, uh, I never, you know, did it. So that was my first try. I was like, hey, this is the kind of thing I want to do. And um, it was great. It was one year, you know, the first year I took over the team. It was in 19th. Last year I moved up to 11th because uh, I got a little itchy. Um, I had Corbin Carroll uh, also on that team. But I think I told you I traded him for Manoa and um, Springer. So I just tried to, like – I'm trying to make little moves up and up a little bit. Um, it's fun. I just, I love the both of them. Um, but I think the Homekeeper League is still my, still my favorite non FBC. Awesome. Yeah. I, you know, I think um, the Highlander Dynasty Invitational that uh, I'm in, uh, that, that Brett Sayer kind of came up with uh, from baseball mm-hmm. prospectus, that one's probably the league I've spent the most time on. Uh, this off season, partly by design, because there are so many sort of dates in the calendar uh, tied to that league where you got to do cut downs and, and mini drafts. Um, so that, that part's a lot of fun. Uh, I had so I mean, much fun listening to those podcasts that you did because I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. It was no, just no. like, I just want to say, I love that. I, I texted you immediately. Like I really love the sound of this league because um, just not even knowing much about the draft and not being in it. It's like, I was so intrigued. I remember I was walking my dog and thinking, 
oh my god, like I was really I wanted to see the rosters. Like you were talking like, oh, this guy's gonna be come on this team, and this can take three teams, three guys from this championship team. And I was so interested in that format because I think with the dynasty, we get uh on what I've seen so far, it's just that uh the Teams at the bottom are not really trying. There's a bunch of teams in the middle making trades with each other to try to get to the guys on top. And the guys on top are always uh, making good trades to like even better themselves for the following year because they're just stacked with everything across a board. And they've always been trying to visualize a way to better keep it balanced and, and you know, having a low dropout rate too, because that seems to be a continuous problem too. Uh, but that Highlander sounds so awesome in terms of those things. Yeah, because, you know, Dynasty, well, regular fantasy baseball is, it's a game of skill. It's a game of time. And if you're a skilled fantasy manager in Dynasty Leagues and you have the time to put in, you're just going to rise to the, the cream's going to always rise to the top. So uh, it is, it's more enjoyable, I think, it like dynasty leagues where it's just the same three, four teams every year competing. It's just, it's not as fun for the rest of the teams. That's why you have as much turnover. It's really hard to dig yourself out. And what Brett did with the Highlander constitution, I think was basically go about as far as you could go to sort of put fails or, you know, stoppages in there to sort of reset things and kind of uh, keep the league very competitive, or at least as competitive as you could, you could hope to keep a, a dynasty league. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are going to the, – the purpose of this show or sort of the, the meat of this show is going to be uh, taking a look at the, the great work uh, on Roster Resource, which is a, a free, uh, available to the public, uh, kind of depth chart batting order page that you can find on Fangraphs, and it's an excellent resource. But what Rob and I are going to do is try to find uh, – or at least I'm going to tell Rob about some platoons – that are earmarked on roster resource that I'm not quite buying. And we're going to kind of try to look under the hood on those situations and, and see if we're, we're buying that platoon or not. Uh, but first uh, we're going to have a, a message from our, our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The fantasy baseball season is underway, and there's no better place to play than Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy baseball. Right now, Underdog has MLB Best Ball tournaments live, including the Dinger, which has 500K in total prizes. 
in best ball, all you do is join a contest, draft your team, and that's it. There are no waivers, no trades, and no in-season management. Draft 20 rounds of players and get the best cumulative scores in your starting lineup, which consists of three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and one flex each week of the regular season. Getting started is simple. Go to underdogfantasy.com, sign up with the promo code RWMLB, and not only will Underdog double your initial deposit up to $100, but you'll also get six months of our Rotowire subscription for free. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWMLB. Draft your 100K Dinger team today. All right, Rob. So as I kind of laid out there, uh, my idea for this is actually, uh, you know, we, we talk about this, like I feel like every year people are sort of like, well, are, are we buying this? this uh, projection from roster resource, you know, where this guy's hitting in the order, that type of stuff. Like it's, it's easy to sort of try to poke holes or, or see something you disagree with because it's kind of a thankless job trying to maintain all those, you know, year round um, every day stuff's changing all the time. Uh, but I, I remember seeing a, a Rob Silver tweet actually uh, like a week or two ago, sort of about, um, you know, he, he's not saying Jake Fraley's not going to, platoon but he's not buying that Kirk Sally is going to be the short side of that platoon uh and sure enough they went out and got uh Chad Pinder who might slide in as that guy now um but I wanted to look at some other uh platoons that are being projected right now on roster resource that I take at least some level of issue with and then you and I uh, can kind of go through and and see how we think it's going to play out so let's start with Corbin Carroll uh this one, I think, jumps out as sort of the um, most impactful uh, disagreement that I have because if if we buy Corbin Carroll as being on the strong side of a platoon in Arizona, he should not be getting uh, drafted probably uh, as high as he's getting drafted in, in some leagues. Um, and right now, I, I think you can infer that they're suggesting on, on roster resource that Kyle Lewis will be on the short side of that platoon. Uh, I don't buy this for a lot of reasons. Um, Kyle Lewis is, is not some noted lefty killer. Uh, he's not a, a good bet to stay healthy at all. He might not be healthy on opening day. Uh, Corbin Carroll is the number one prospect in baseball. There's no real example I can think of of the number one prospect in baseball getting uh, platooned his first full season in the majors. So uh, what do you make of that, that situation and, and sort of how you see that, that Arizona uh, lineup shaking out? Yeah, I, I agree with you um, that I don't see anything and I don't fear Kyle Lewis taking away from Corbin Carroll. He's top prospect in the game. The skills allowed. Um, there's no reason to stunt the growth of any young player with his tools just because you want to get Kyle Lewis at bat. And that's no disrespect to Kyle Lewis, but as you said, he's no noted lefty killer. I looked it up and it's crazy. He struggles with the fat, um, with off speeds really bad and breakers versus lefties. Uh, his career, um, 252 Woba in his career versus left-handed pitchers with a 36% K rate. That's not um, the guy you plug in for, to take Corbin Carroll out. Um, also, too, I want to just say that roster resource there, yeah, Jason Martinez does a hell of a job just doing yes. his job. I see way too many people out there on Twitter bringing him up without saying his name and talking down on it. Like, 
they missed something or they're wrong, well, then you come up with something. That's what I tell those people. Then you put your site up or you develop your own view on it because he spends a lot of time and you could disagree, but you don't have to be mean. Um, and also too, if anyone wants a different set of eyes on something else too, on as a, as a roster resource type of thing, I use probaseballradar.com. Um, you can find him on Twitter. His name is Rob actually at baseball Raider and baseball radar. And he does a great job. Um, and it's a cool view. It's like a good left to right organizational view. He's got a really like an if, if you know, it, I think he's saying it helped because we're looking at different projection systems. So you might as well look at different people's view on playing time, you know. Um, but getting back to Corbin Carroll, this is, you know, I don't see him losing some time. But this whole roster is interesting because I also see pa uh, Paven Smith in the minors on roster resources. I don't see that happening. Um, a lot of people will probably take a look at the surface stats and be like, eh, what are you talking about? But he did have a 110 max EV last year, 10% barrel, good contact rate, good plate discipline, low swinging strikes. Um, he actually had 20 pull barrels in his career with 16 homers on them. Um, so I like it. The pull fly balls increased up to 30%. So I just, I think he'll back up Walker at first, place up outfield and DH. I don't know what's going to happen at shortstop, but I think like, I think Josh Rojas is misplaced as the starting third baseman also too on roster resource. I think it's going to be Longoria as long as he's healthy most of her days and with Emmanuel Rivera. And I just see Rojas being the super util guy floating around playing um, some third base, some second base, some outfield, even some shortstop. Um, he played 140 games Rojas in the outfield, but none last year, but I think that's going to change. Um, you know, I don't know if they keep Ahmed and if maybe if they move on from him and he just gets more at bats or short than Perdomo. I don't know. Um, and I think that I think, too, like, I don't know if Jason's looking at what happened that they put to Carroll last year, you know, but that was really just to limit the at bat so he can be eligible for rookie of the year this year. Um so I don't know. I, well, and just... and then they they did have, I believe Stone Garrett, who actually was killing lefties at the time. Um, right. So not that I. I mean, even if they had Stone Garrett on the roster, I don't think Carroll would be platooning. But um, yeah, just another. Yeah, I think I think um, I th I get the Josh Rojas multi eligibility, but and he's got a pretty decent ADP, um, but. He, he played the last 10 games of last year because um, Kettle Marte and Emmanuel Rivera were both on the IL, and McCarthy was on the bereavement list for a little bit. But prior to that stretch, he started 14 of 23 games and 5 of 14 games between November uh, September 9th and September 23rd. So I think we kind of foresaw there what the Diamondbacks thought of him being full-time, and um, I think his draft prices. A little too steep. Um, one other thing I thought was impressive about Carroll, I was just looking at his batted balls. Um, and the max EV was 107.5. That was his his hardest. But um, out of the 24 balls, he had over 95. His his hardest one and two other ones came off of Woodruff. And then other guys in this list, Dustin May, Darvish, Austin Nola twice, Musgrove twice, and Justin Verlander. Just seems like a pretty good list to be smoking balls off of. So I don't think this kid gets, you know, sits down at all for anyone. 
no, I mean, he, en- he enters the year as the best player on the team, uh, at least the best position player on the team. And uh, def- you're right to point out about, yeah, Jason Martinez, definitely. This is not a, um, a shot at him at all. Uh, it's, it's more just, is this an op- are there opportunities yeah. here that we could be taking advantage of if we're right about what we think is going to happen? Yep. Uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of almost like being a, like a referee or an umpire. It's just such a thankless job. It's so hard. Um, the amount of time and sort of the fact that you're almost never off the clock, like it's just, it's a very thankless job. So um, I really appreciate that what he does and without a uh, doubt that he provides it uh, to the public or Fangrass provides it to the public. If you want to look at the Rotowire batting orders, they're behind yep. a, a paywall and I recommend those. I'm, I'm involved with those. So there's a lot of good stuff behind paywalls and, and good stuff in front of paywalls too. So um, definitely not knocking anyone who's, who's taking the time to put these up, but. Um, right. Just don't yell at the guy. Just have a nice conversation with anyone who you disagree with. Like, <laughs> Hey, what do you see in that projection? Why is it like this? Don't just go around saying this is off. And why is it like this? You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I echo what you said about Josh Rojas. I, I have not, I have not been able to pull the trigger on him in in drafts yet. And, uh, you know, I've been on the clock with a need at, uh, you know, need for speed or a need at third base. And it's just, I'm, I'm with you. I think the playing time is, is not going to be quite what it was last year. And uh, that, that may end up actually being like his best fantasy season last year. Um, yep. Good point. So uh, the next uh, situation I wanted to bring up is uh, Tampa Bay. Um, Tampa Bay, everyone kind of brings up Tampa Bay as like they're the kings of the platoon. Uh, they're, they're not really. Um, they're just kind of the kings of not giving too many guys everyday playing time. Uh, and the, the one that I sort of think might be an opportunity for people to take advantage of is – Isak Paredes being listed as the short side platoon first baseman with Jonathan Aranda. Uh, I just think, I think Paredes uh, brings a level of uh, power upside to this lineup that they're kind of, they're lacking on the whole. Uh, A lot of these guys are good hitters, but they're not guys that are going to come close to 30 homers uh, or even 25 homers. And, uh, Paredes, I think, kind of showed last year that 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 is something he could bring to the table. I also think he was unlucky last year to to a large degree. And uh, I, I look at like Harold Ramirez being earmarked for everyday playing time at DH. Uh, I don't really see why Harold Ramirez would play more than Paredes this year. Uh, when you factor in defense, when you factor in age, upside, everything, uh, and then Aranda. You know, I think they'd like him to, to be uh, a part of their future. He's a really good uh, hitter, good hit tool guy, but he's a terrible defender pretty much everywhere. Um, so I, I just think Paredes brings more to the table than than those two guys specifically. And if someone is looking at him in drafts as a guy to avoid based on him being projected on the short side of the two, and I, I disagree with that. Yeah, I I would agree with you. Um, I I'm I'm under the impression more that Yandi will get more starts at first base, full time, 
and Paredes gets the you know most of the run at third base. Um, I know that for outs outs against average, um, Hanley, um, HRAM does not grade out very well at first, and Paredes actually grades out a lot better than Yandi. With Yandi, he's like a minus eight outs out above average on Statcast. So, um, yeah, I think that. Also, they have um they have roster resource has Yangi pegged for 140 paid appearances at DH. I think that's a little too high. Um, we didn't really DH much last year, but uh, HRAM too also uh, terrible OPS versus right-handed pitchers and 570 after the All Star break. And Isak is just I mean he's got my favorite trait, James. He pulls the ball and yeah, he. In the air, you know, like 50% of the time, um, he, I think he hit something like, um, uh, what was it? 88% of the balls he pulled, um, 87% of the barrels he pulled were home runs. So I like that. I think it's uh, an asset that you need to have in this, you know, uh, possibly lessened power driven you know, stage of, of MLB and um, pull the ball in the air and he could do it. And I really like his hit tool overall. I think he's definitely going to play a lot more than um, a lot of people are assuming. Yeah. And, the, and another nice thing is he's, he's out of minor league options. Um, and sort of back to my other point, like if you just kind of look at this lineup uh, and just start, like, who are some guys who could hit 25 homers it's a Rosa Reina, Brandon Lau, and that's about it. Um, I don't know. I I wouldn't project anyone else on that team to get to 25. Uh, and I don't even know if I'd quite project a Rosa Reina to get to 25. Uh, and who knows if Lau is going to play enough to get to 25. So I just I think at the end of the day, they're going to want a bit more thump in that lineup than is currently being projected on on roster resource. Absolutely. And he's also had that path to second base, right? If, if Lau is hurt again, you know, I think the path for him is just everywhere. And, but I think, I hope he sticks that third. If Yandi plays more first, I mean, he doesn't really have any big splits versus lefties or righty Yandi. And uh, I think just Choi was so good that they never really had to put him there more often than not. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and I, I'm projecting Yandi to play a ton. I'm not a guy that I uh, would be downgrading here. Um, and the next one I want to bring up is uh, Josh Naylor. You know, I'm not, I'm not uh, extremely confident that he's going to play close to every day. Uh, currently projected to be a strong side platoon guy, but. Uh, he's supposedly going to be seeding plate appearances to, to Gabriel Arias against lefties per roster resource. And uh, I know that a lot of people just say reverse splits are, are BS, but our, for what it's worth, Arias hits right-handed has reverse splits uh, dating back a couple of years, I believe. And I just think when you got a guy like Naylor uh, and I know there are, there are some flaws in the profile, but uh we are talking about a 25-year-old who is has a pretty uh, impressive combination of, of contact skill and an ability to hit the ball pretty hard. Uh, and I just think at, at his age, I, I think that they 
might want to explore him as, as more of an everyday guy than, than a strong side platoon guy. Uh, not 100% confident in that, but I, if, if someone is not drafting Naylor because they think he's going to sit against every lefty, I think that would be a mistake. I think so, too. I think um, what you said is he is 100% true. He's going to be closer to a regular than a platoon. Um, he was pretty bad versus lefties last year after the All-Star break. It's a 423 OPS and a 76% ground ball rate. But um, Naylor was shifted on 77.5% of the time. Um, and that's the full shift. And then you have that strategic shift, which also won't be allowed this year. That's when basically it's like the heavy pull of the shortstop towards second and the second baseman, like three, four, five steps in the outfield. Um, he was shifted that way 10.3% of the time. So, and uh, just a normal shift 12% of the time. But when you look at his numbers against the strategic and normal shift, uh, just for like a larger sample size of, what he might be able to do this year. He had a 396 Wober and a 329 Babbitt. And for a guy with a ground ball rate of 50% um, in his career, I think that's really going to help. Um, I'm I'm thinking like instead of 250, 255-ish, he's going to hit over 270 this year. And I think he stays in the lineup more often than not. I think the guy I'm worried about here is Oscar Gondalez. I really love the skills, but... Uh, I don't know. There's sometimes I think he's great. And sometimes I don't know what to expect of him power wise, at least, you know, power wise. I, I, it just doesn't seem like it's there. Um, I feel like he's like, I think I compared him to like a Brandon Rogers, like type of profile, like where it may not be so much power, but a good hit tool. I don't know. But Naylor, I think is safe. I think he's a good eight. I think he's good for where he's going to right now in his ADP. I know for a lot of people who kind of wait on first base, he, he, kind of the option that falls into your lap as an option first, if you, you know, um, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's a terrible grab if to wait on him and he happens to be your first baseman, maybe you just want to get like a stronger backup than normal, you know? Yeah. And I, I think for the most part, I've been getting nailers as a corner, uh, as a corner guy. Um, and with Gonzalez, yeah, I he's a really tough guy to to project how how twenty twenty three goes for him because uh, they loved they were playing him a ton against righties and lefties and hitting him middle of the order against righties and lefties. Uh, he definitely I, so when he first got the call last year, I remember just sort of he'd always been a prospect of note, like dating back, honestly, like five years, probably four years, five years. He'd always been a prospect of note for his bat to ball and his, his physique where you were sort of projecting that he would grow into plus power, but he was very aggressive. Wasn't a high walk rate guy. And so it was just sort of, is this guy going to be a tweener type who just doesn't add enough defensive value? It doesn't get on base enough to, to kind of pull it all off. And the initial returns with Gonzalez were that uh, he was going to make more consistent contact early in his big league career than I think anyone expected. And that was very encouraging, but he wasn't doing a ton in terms of hitting for power. And then he did kind of start to get to enough power uh, kind of in the second half of his run in the majors last year. Um, I think he went uh, like weeks at a time without a homer. Uh, early on in the majors, but 
Uh, I don't know whether I don't know whether that's the sign of things to come. Whether he's beating up on bad uh, pitching down the stretch, um, but I was encouraged at least by the fact that they were treating him like a true everyday guy uh, for a while there. Yeah, no, he de- I think he starts off full time for sure, and maybe even as a real life player, he he's going to stay in the lineup more than often than not. I'm just, I love the hit tool. Um, the maxi V is great. Good, good K percentage, but he just he puts a lot of balls on the ground and he hits a lot of his fly balls to center field and right field, <laughs> you know, and, and you just need to see a little more pulled elevation. He's doing, he, you like it when a guy is uh is aggressive and is going to put the ball in play, but right. he's not, he's not pulling it enough for you. You've got, You've got some uh, player types that I, I know are, are right up your alley. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, I mean, you were you were kind of the first person who sort of. Um, I think I I think it was you. I I heard you sort of mention sort of why you're not very into uh, Juan Soto um, for five by five. Uh, like NFBC style fantasy at, at his cost because he just doesn't put enough balls in play to, to get the counting stats. And Gonzalez definitely is sort of the anti Juan Soto uh, in that sense, but yeah, yep. he is uh, probably, probably spreading the ball um, around a little bit too much. Although, yeah, I mean, it, it's more about the ground ball rate than the, the hitting it too much. The opposite. Yeah. Team. Yep. Absolutely. All right, so uh, back to the platoon uh, topic. Kyle Stowers with the Orioles. Uh, I think he's a, a really nice value, uh, or at least I, I like where he's going in drafts uh, because I just I think there's no reason why they won't give Stowers a chance to solidify himself as a, a big part of this team's future. Um I, the, the one knock is that they just they weren't playing him against lefties last year. Uh, so you could definitely take that and be like, well, they're not going to play him against lefties this year. But I, if you look at just anyone you think he might be competing with for like playing time, anyone who's going to come in and be short side of a platoon with him, he's got better numbers against lefties than those guys. So are you buying that they kind of keep doing what they're doing at the end of the last season and, and treat Stowers as just a strong side platoon guy, or could you see him carving out more of an everyday role? I hope he carves out more than an everyday role. I think he should get the opportunity to, you know, they made their team, I guess, a little more versatile this year with gaining Adam Frazier. Um, just, just with quotes by the GM, it seems like he's going to be the, like taking over for what Odor did at second base ish. Um, what happens to Mateo? Does he become an outfit like a backup outfielder, utility guy at some point? I don't know. But um, I looked in his minor league profile. I don't really go, you know, I'm not usually looking at splits often um, for minor leaguers, but I mean, he did so well in 2021 and 2022 versus lefties in the minors. He had OPS of. Yeah. Over a thousand and uh nine fifty in twenty twenty one. Um and last year he only got four plate appearances versus lefties and one one homer, you know. Um <laughs> he just uh the the Maxi V one ten battle percentage is great, eleven point three. 
Um, he struggles with, um, you know, curveballs and sliders low. So what? You know, let him work through that. I just think that he just – in the games I watched him, he just seemed like he's a big-time hitter, you know. Um, and let's not forget, too, they they sat um, Hedrick Mullins. Um, yep. After the All-Star break, he only started in 10 of 17 games versus left-handed batters. Um and I know everyone's always concerned about the Tommy Edmonds thing, but you know, he's going 40 picks later than Mullins and Mullins. And, and that was during a playoff run, you know, that Cedric Mullins was getting sat. And he's a great defender. Right. Right. So, and for, for Ryan McKenna, you know, that was the, <laughs> that was the choice. Um, I think he gets a run here. Uh, Stowers, Kyle Stowers. I like his price point right now. I think, a lot of other people seem to do in my draft as well, um, <laughs> you know, which is always a problem. Uh, a lot of my friends are like, oh, I got I picked up Stowers in such and such round. And I'm like, man, like he went four rounds ahead in my draft, you know. So it's it's a guy that I haven't landed on a lot or maybe even if at all, but I have him as a target. It's just at some point, you know, you have to, I guess, maybe I'm just not being as aggressive on him maybe i'm playing too much of the adp game or um i don't know but i do think there's some concern obviously because their their farm system is great too right you know i know colton Cowser is probably knocking on the door soon um he's another guy that keeps rising in 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 adp so there's i guess there's a level of uh there's a line of what you you know i guess maybe how your outfield is being built up you know, like in a draft champion, if you have maybe more unsettled, if you waited on outfielders and you have more unsettled platoonish types, you probably don't want to take Stowers. But if you're, if you got a nice steady group of five or six everyday guys and this is your home run upside pick, then you could probably be more aggressive toward him. I guess that explains, um, in a nutshell, what I'm doing so far in outfielders that I'm not being so aggressive on him. Yeah. I, uh, and I did most of my drafts back uh, in 2022 um, or all except for an, an online championship where I didn't consider uh, Stowers, but he was always sort of falling to me at a nice spot in, in those, but uh, it does look like his, his pick range has really kind of uh, gotten a bit narrower here in the past month or so uh, generally going in the late four hundreds. I think that's, that's really good value. Uh I mean, getting anyone that late who is talented and could play a lot is is good, especially at outfield. So, um, and then you mentioned uh, cows are coming. Uh, I wonder if if Austin Hayes might be the casualty. Correct. Uh, but then, if that were to happen, maybe Hayes starts platooning with Stowers. I guess would be a fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just kind of thinking about where this team is going, what they're trying to do. I think this is a year where they kind of want to see if Stowers is, is sort of a, a real piece for them. And um, so I expect them to, to be able to do that. Yeah. And if that, if at that point you feel like Hayes can be the casualty, you know, his, his 264 ADP since January 8th and a draft champion is probably um, not going to be good. Yeah. I don't want any, I don't want any part of Austin Hayes as someone I'm relying on um, and, or 
someone who I'm entering the season with, like in my fantasy starting lineup, that doesn't doesn't sound great. Uh, really quickly, uh, a guy that I sort of have linked almost with uh, Stowers is Kerry Carpenter, um, just hmm. because they're both kind of they go around the same place. They're theoretically gonna give you sort of the same stuff. Do you have a preference there? I'm more confident in Carpenter actually platooning than I am Stowers. I think I'm more confident in, in, in Carpenter getting some PT, more PT, but I don't know. He He's funny as well, too, because they they added Nick Matan and Matt Verling and um, I don't know. I think I think I think overall I'd probably lean Stowers. I just like I like that um, home park right field. Uh, I like the team a little better. So I'd probably go Stowers. But Carpenter. Yeah, he's interesting. I don't. Me and Ryan Roof were talking about that whole, um, you know, with Akil Badu as well. Like who who can emerge and who can be a guy? And I, I said, if you could just overall up those four guys into one player, man, it'd be really good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I buy you know I buy the I buy the like the strict platoons more I think on Badu and Carpenter, but I do think. I do think their playing time is quite safe. Uh, but uh, let's move on to a guy that I've been sort of enamored with for, for years now. Uh, and the price has never gone up because he's just never like, put it together and gotten the playing time on a, on any kind of a consistent basis. But uh, JD Davis was, was pretty good for the giants after they traded for him last year. I know he, he struck out a lot. Uh, but he's always shown kind of neutral splits against righties and lefties, but has always been pigeonholed as a, as a short side guy. And I just don't know. I, I just think he's one of the giants like five or six best hitters. Uh, and I just don't think he belongs on the short side of a platoon, at least a strict short side platoon early in the season. Um, there's a kind of a lot of moving pieces there, some fresh faces, some departures from last season. But how do you? And then this is this is maybe the most challenging lineup uh, when it comes to extra- extracting fantasy value from because of all the platoons that they get into. But how do you see this shaking out for JD Davis? Am I being too optimistic and thinking that he could get more of a regular role? I guess um, one question I wanted to ask you: like, how, how much stock do you take into the oh, what this team gave up to get him? Because, you know, I know I've read that too. Like, oh, they didn't give up much. I get him so they don't owe him, quote unquote, owe him so much playing time or per se. I kind of don't agree with that. I think I don't really think. I mean, if they were able to dupe the Mets into giving up him for Darren Ruff and a couple of other guys, you know, on top of Davis. (laughs) I think they just made a good trade. Yeah, me too. Exactly. Why? It's not like they're going to just offer (laughs) Max value of what they would be willing to give up for a guy right yeah 100% um, they 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 aimed low and they it's almost like catching the fantasy owner who's like kind of sleeping and just wants to make a deal and you say oh this looks like even um I'm talking about my Mets too yeah that's fun uh, <laughs> <laughs> um I think Flores his plate appearance projection is really low um I don't think a lot of people know that Wilmer Flores had 600 plate appearances last year. I had him on several teams and it was always, I kind of realized, okay, it was like, he's almost full time now. You know, they, he, it was never really, it was easier 
to start him this year than I think I've ever had because there was less worries about that. But um, I just kind of think that Lamont, Lamonte Wade is not going to get as many plate appearances as he will at first base. Um, the left-handed, right-handed splits for J.D. Davis are pretty – it's so crazy. I, I brought up a splits on um, John J- – John Anderson has a cool tableau page, and I just like the way to see the split chart. And you could do it by sliders, by dates. It's really nice. And um, it was I thought I thought there was a I thought there was a misprint. He had 182 plate appearances versus both left-handers and right-handers. His OPS versus lefty was 70, 756 versus righties was 754. Barrel percentage versus lefties 17 and a half percent versus righties 15 percent, and the K rate versus lefties, 34%, and versus righties, 33%. Um, but I think you noted the right thing there. Like He doesn't really have um, bad splits. They're kind of good versus righties. And I actually think, like, with Wade, too, he's never healthy. Um, oh. I mean, you could just go down. It, it's knee. It's it's left side. It's wrist. It's, it's so many different things. Um they gave him a $1.4 million deal to come back. I'll, I'll kind of counter what I said about I don't agree with, you know, J.D. Davis having not, you know, they don't owe him anything. I don't really think that contract screams Wade needs to play all the time. That's what that's the way I see it. And so I actually think his at-bats versus right-handers will eventually go to J.D. And Flores, I just think, does the same thing from – First to second to third. And I think VR starts at third, my personal opinion. And if he's really bad, it'll just be even more playing time for JD and Flores. But even if VR is good and he gets 400, 450 plate appearances, I think Flores and JD still gets enough run between the two of them to make their worth their cost right now at ADP. Yeah. Uh, I think we're on the same page with Davis. Uh, with Flores, I mean, should he have gotten like? Did the Giants want to give him six hundred plate appearances, or did they? <laughs> well, have to give <laughs> well, they still have to though. That's the thing to me. Like they lost Belt and Longoria to you know they weren't around a lot, but you know when they were there, they played. So I just think there's more PT available, and yeah, I mean that's a good point on if they do they want to give Flora that many plate appearances, but I guess he just has that ability to cover everyone. So I just don't see, yeah, that's true. you know, and like Crawford's getting older. Who knows if Ty, like, what if Tyro Estrada is not the same guy he was last year? You know, it's, it's everyone's banking on him. Just be, I, I kind of think he's going to, he, he looks good. He looks like a good player. He's like a good all around too, but it doesn't mean next year he's going to replicate his success and keep playing. You know, I think our good, like our good friend, Rob Silver would pull it like that probably, probabilistic thinking in terms of probability he's no lock to keep that job as well so i i think flores and 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 jd are safe for pt on this team they need him for sure nice yeah and i and i've i've come so uh i i've I've been out on javier baez for several years and i i'm kind of i think i'm back in and i've been taking javier baez over thyro estrada when I've been oh, sort of yeah. needing that kind of middle power speed type of stuff, even though, you know, Thyros stole more bases last year, but just, you know, we know Bias is going to play every day. So much rather. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think if you miss on shortstop, that's a great pivot to go to. Um, 
current ADP right now, Baez is is around 160, 170 range. But like you said, the, there's no nobody gonna take PT from him. Um, no. And 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 what I don't know if a lot of people noticed that he he went on the IL on April 15th. He was celebrating with his team and hurt his thumb. <laughs> You know, uh, and like my whole thing is like he wanted to show the team he was down, you know, like I'm here, I'm here, I'm here for the cause, you know, and uh, <laughs> stupid move eventually to get hurt doing that. But, you know, three of his 15 hardest hit balls came before that date. Mm. Um, he 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 really like he was hitting the ball, just the same old Javi in, in that first two weeks of the season. And actually, this is my whole look at it. But if you take away his May, which I think is probably the time he spent more hurt playing with an injury. Um, if you take away that month, he's at a 257 average and his home run plate appearance is right in career with right in line with his career average. But also too, he went on the IL in 2019 with another thumb injury. And the the last time his zone percentage dipped that low, um, his zone swing percentage was in that year and his rookie year. And coincidentally, his rookie year, he hit less than 20 homers. And the same thing he did this year. I just think that he, you know, you know, whenever he's not aggressive in the zone, he's he's not himself. He just got to swing away. That's, we know his tendency to chase, but he makes up for that with being aggressive in the zone and taking advantage of those. And I think once he gets back to being that guy, I think he's going to be great, great, great draft pick this year. Hell yeah! Um, oh yeah! You had to you had to get to the, the about the hour mark uh, to hear us pump up Poppy Bias, but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's what it's about. Uh, all right, um, so back to platoon guys. Uh, this one I I I wanted to bring up Matt Carpenter, uh, strong side platoon uh, being listed right now for him. Uh, with the Padres, uh, with him, I guess, in left field and seeding time to uh, Jose Azucar slash Adam Engel, whichever one you want to say is going to get in there for Trent Grisham against lefties. The other one would be getting in against lefties for Matt Carpenter. Uh, I think Carpenter gets, you know, more strategic rest days than the average player because of his age, and, and they're going to want to keep him healthy. Uh Definitely gave him a, a contract that I would uh, associate with a guy that, that they plan on giving plenty of plate appearances to. Um, but I don't really see a case for a strict platoon here. Uh, he might just what he did with the Yankees last year just might be total fool's gold and he's banged up and he never kind of gets back to anywhere close to that. And he's sort of out of a job. Uh, after Tatis is back, if Nelson Cruz is playing well and stuff. But I don't think that would happen initially. I think you might see guys play over him against some lefties to give him a day off. But he's better against lefties than Jose Azacar is or Adam Engel is. Obviously, they're better defenders. But what's your take on Matt Carpenter? Uh, left fielder against righties projected by roster resource. I. I, I love Matt Carpenter. <laughs> I mean, um, another guy, another um, pull fly ball percentage last year, 44%. His previous career high was 26% in 2018. Um, I mean, he played a little bit at first, right? He played some outfield. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's unfortunate because he enters the year UT only. I know. Um, even though he was playing all over the place. Um, I know. But we got we to gotta wait for him to be – I took him and J.D. Martinez uh, after after already uh, plugging my util just because I thought they were too good of values in my last draft. But, um, I yeah, go, go ahead. Keep going. That's funny because I think I I think I have the same thing in one draft. That's funny <laughs> you said because I think I think he's signed um, – I think he signed during my draft and I was, uh, I'm not going to get him. He was like eight picks away and no, no one picked him. And I was like, Oh wow, this is great. I'll, I'll do it. Um, but yeah, um, I, I look at, um, I go over to swinggraphs.com. They're um, a website that you could look at for, um, they track the vertical bat angle of, of batters um, through a technology they have. Um, and he had the same VBA um, as it was in 2018 when he hit 36 homers. And that was three years after uh, kind of a more drastic uppercut swing compared to last year in 2018. It was like two degrees uh, more uppercut. So um, I think he got that more in line for where he wanted to be. Um, he also, when he pulled his fly balls, he hit it uh, a mile and a half faster from 2018 so maybe it's a small sample um but its exit velocity on fly balls was 95 and a half so i think i agree with you i think he'll get his calculated rest days but i think this is pretty much a a full-time as much as full-time as he could handle but i think the per plate appearance impact will be pretty solid for your team and actually you know um i'm actually wondering too you know does tatis get some you know uh, load management during the season, right? Will he get them days at DH? I just think too, like if if Tatis is playing well and he's pretty healthy, um, and and Cruz, like if, if Cruz is, if the vision surgery helped his his you know his batting from last year, uh, you're talking about maybe a possibility that we might see some more calculated days off for even you know Kim and Cronenworth. They're so good defensively. I don't think they'll lose a ton of time on the field, but um yeah they have like a a a decent amount of guys who could be full-timers so it's interesting to see what's going to shake out here but i i agree with you i don't think jose azicar and adam engel um adam engel has forever been the per plate appearance stolen bait slash home run you know (laughs) deep deep spec like oh but this guy you know the steamer 600 every year this adam engel is just staring at you and you're like oh i'll bite him on my list (laughs) never works yeah i mean i think engel's Engel's a great option to, to play against lefties for Trent Grisham. Uh, and I mean, I don't know if Jose Azucar is a great option to be in the majors, but um, this, the top end, the top like eight, nine hitters here, you, if they're, if they're healthy, they, they should be performing um, especially once Tatis gets back. Otherwise, like you said, they can kind of start phasing guys in or phasing guys out. Um, what's your thoughts on Trent Grisham, James? Well, while you brought him up, um, he's such a polarizing player too, because there's so many times in parts of my draft where he slips and I was like, well, I could really use some speed and power right now, (laughs) you know, and I kind of always try to talk myself into him, but it's not, I don't know how much, I guess, volume do you think he gets? Um, well, I used to be all about Trent Grisham uh, and the price was too high last year for me. 
and I was just so scared by um, kind of the steps back he took last year and the price didn't seem to come down enough for me. So I, I didn't, I haven't really considered him in drafts yet. Um, but is there, is there a reason to, I don't expect him to hit 184 this year, but you know, are you projecting kind of a return to like mid two hundreds for the batting average? Um, I mean, the projection systems, the five that I have up, uh, none of them have him for over a 223 average. Um, but even with that, even with his five, like I have five systems aggregated and it's just, I, I haven't touched his plate appearances. This is just aggregated 518 plate appearances. Um, and in my SGP sheet, he is um, the 280th ranked player it's at his ADP of 324. He's still a really good value. And that's why every time in the draft, I actually don't, you know, I don't draft straight off of my SGP sheet. I, I do incorporate like a whole skills based thing into it. That just gives me, you know, a decent idea what the, like the aggregate, you know, models think. And then I'll, I'll take it from there. But it's interesting that even with a, a, a 220 projected aggregate batting average and uh, 17 homers and 11 stolen bases uh, that, that that's still a value player. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of looking at the, the ADP and guys that are going around him. Uh, I, I take Manny Margot over him like 10 times out of 10. Um, I just think you're getting more plate appearances, better batting average, similar homers and steals. Um, I'd take Jake Fraley over Grisham. Uh, Fraley has some durability issues, but uh, at least, you know, he's got the park. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I just, I don't know. I, I can buy that he's a, he can hit for like a 220 average and return value, but uh, I don't really, I don't like drafting guys that I'm projecting for that low of an average. Um, what about our boy right next to him in ADP? Um, the guy who last year you so adamantly told you, oh, I should have told you to lay off of him, Avisail Garcia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, James, thanks for the heads up now after I have 18 draft stocks of him. No. Well, I, yeah, I, I was fading. I mean, look, you can't, you can't live off projection systems, all right? And uh, <laughs> You're right. Avisail Garcia – was such an easy fade for me last year just knowing a little bit about him as a person uh watching him over two seasons in milwaukee that length of contract it was just a a lock he was gonna have a bad first year because he wasn't gonna give crap um good point and he'll start he'll get into shape and he'll start prepping for a productive year before he's about to hit the market again Yeah, Jazz said he looks sexy, but I'm not falling into that (laughs) trap again. But like you said, I think you brought up a great point and something that I should definitely start to incorporate more, that whole first year in a new contract thing. And um, I didn't know I've heard multiple stories about his work ethic slash, you know, um, I don't know. So uh, it's it's interesting. I didn't I didn't hear those things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was also just I remember the way he showed up to camp in Milwaukee on the first year of that deal. And it was just like, ooh, uh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no thanks but yep. then i but then he was a he was heading into a contract year so i was all over him that last year at milwaukee and they didn't they just needed to get something out of him um because they're just so cheap that they were paying him too much for him to not play but um quickly uh i did i, I do have another quick tangent um is there anything the the weirdest thing to me probably on any depth chart 
is that the Padres are currently going into the year with basically three starting pitchers. It's okay. Thoughts on that? <laughs> it's what very. What are they doing? It's I don't know. It's very very interesting. Um, because I think one one guy that I've been really interested in is Adrian Morjan, and and I don't know how to like evaluate. You know what kind of innings he's gonna get. I think it's a great upside pick, but if 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 he's gonna you know, piggyback off of Nick Martinez or Seth Lugo. I mean, I don't know how they're going to work that. You know, they're just going to make their bullpen stretch out more because it's, yeah, because Nick Martinez as the three and Seth Lugo as, um, uh, as the four and Seth Lugo as the five. I mean, I watched Seth Lugo the last two years. I, I, I it's interesting that he's going to be um, a starter again. Um, I mean, he does have the skill set and the, I guess the, variety of skills to make it work pitches but yeah this is very strange for a team that is so well built all the way around um i don't know unless Drew Pomeranz is going to come back and you know go back to his rubber band 120 inning self i don't think it's going to happen yeah i mean it it could be uh just the market that maybe their plan is like, Hey, we know we have our playoff rotation. Uh, we're going to trade for a starter at the deadline and we're just going to do our best with those final two spots. But uh, that whole, for that plan to work, Darvish, Musgrove and Snell better stay healthy. And yep. uh, I've been off Morion for a long time just cause I didn't think he had starter durability. Uh but I guess, yeah, I mean, does Seth Lugo have starter durability? Does yeah. Nick Mart- – like, I don't – you know, he might as well just go with the guy with the best stuff, which is probably more young, but um, – And that's yeah, what I'm- I did. It's just like a spec, like, late, like late dart at um, – when it's kind of like a, a border on, like, okay, do I take this fifth, sixth starter who's going to throw more innings or this more talented upside player? Um, and, you know – there comes a time in draft champions where you you're going to need to go down into your depths. And I'm just hoping he falls into some kind of cool role where he gets a lot of looks, you know, at potential vulture wins or maybe even, you know, uh, yeah, just like longer outings. They've got a lot of uh, kind of former intriguing pitching prospects. They've got Morion, Jay Grom, Brent Honeywell, uh, right. my, my old flame, Ryan Weathers. Uh, I, oh. I can't, I can't make a case. I can't make a statistical case for Ryan Weathers factoring into that starting rotation. So um, yeah. They have Jose Castillo is still around, right? I, I remember him in 2018. He was like so good. I think he, you know, he, he came on the scene had a brief, brief, like maybe 30, 40 inning stretch. And he was really lights out. And I think he, I think he had Tommy John, right. I think in the next year. Yeah. I mean, he's a straight reliever though. Right. right yeah. Yeah. They just have such a, like interesting guy that with stuff that have been hurt throughout this, you know, um, I'm interested to that. see how it goes. I'm interested to yeah, see, uh, for sure. and, and, uh, you know, there's going to be, there's, it's not like we're not going to see another trade before opening day. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, back to the platoons. Uh, we got one more here, and then we'll get to uh, 19th round ADP. Uh, so this one is sort of cheating. Uh, you know, Danny <laughs> Jansen listed as Blue Jays short side platoon. Uh, I, you know, most people are probably 
smart enough to realize that they're not just going to only start Danny Jansen against against lefties. But I I like where Danny Jansen's going. I mean, it's it's basically just the the injury history, uh, durability issues. Um, you can't really point to any sort of skills reasons why uh, to to avoid Jansen. Uh, and then you know you know you're not getting Sal Perez level playing time, but I expect uh, I expect them to be very careful with Brandon Belt this year. Uh, like I don't think this is just a every single time a righty's starting Brandon Belt's in the lineup. Like I think you got to give him an off day every now and then, even against righties. Uh, and I think Alejandro Kirk is going to DH um, pretty much whenever Brandon Belt isn't DHing. And if Alejandro Kirk misses any time. Danny Jansen's going to get all he can eat. Uh, so I just, you know, if anyone's sort of fading Jansen too much because of the playing time, I think that that could be an opportunity. Yeah, I think so. And um, I've noticed in uh, in the four honeys, as our friend Matt Modica likes to say, he, 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 is, he, sh- he, he shot up. Oh, yeah. And compared to the 150 VCs, he's being aggressively drafted in those leagues. And, um, I think I think it I think it makes sense. I mean, it, combined the last two seasons, he's he's only had 453 plate appearances, but 26 homers. And like you mentioned, Sal P, that's like Sal P type numbers. You know, take away his 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 big home run season, that's a, like a standard Sal P season, right. which I still think is a very valuable season. I still think that's why, even if you're not expecting Sal P to hit, you know, 40 home runs again, he's such a value where he goes for that you know that line um and jansen you know what's odd what's odd is that um that you know jansen's always hurt and yet he dh three games last year compared to kirk's 49 and kirk has um better rated framing skills the same pop time and a stronger arm so i'm like confused as to why they don't you know yeah that's, protect Jansen more. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it's a little weird. I mean, I maybe Jansen's just a better game caller. Um, Could be. I don't know. I that is that is odd. You'd think at least to be more close than forty nine and three, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> like I, I understand why you'd want to DH Kirk whenever he's not catching. You know, not every single time, but you you know you want Kirk's bat in the lineup. But I would I'm agree I agree with you. Jansen's too good a hitter to be limited to just three DH starts um, over the season. Quick, quick, quick dynasty question. Will, what's the percentage chance that Dalton Varsho qualifies for catcher next year? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Um, So for every, yeah, so that's, you know, 20 games for people uh, that aren't aware is, what it takes to qualify to position. Um, I'll say, uh, I'll say like 25% chance. I like it. I like that call. It's a good call. And, and you know where I think it comes from? I think it comes from them possibly starting him some games. I don't know. This is, this might sound crazy, but starting him some games at catcher, 
And then, like, for late-inning defense, like, put him into the outfield, per se. And maybe you can get rest mm. with Jansen and Kirk that way. I just think – I think – or, like you said, an injury, right? Does he become the, you know, the guy who comes in or do they get another catcher? But there is a still – like I said, it's just a, just, a, just a bit – like, if everyone's given up on him in Dynasty because you think he's definitely going to lose it, I would just say – don't unless you're getting like wowed. I think they just hold on to that chance that he might. I mean, I, I, I definitely wasn't factored when I said 25% chance. I was basically only factoring in injuries opening up playing time. I was not factoring in like I, I'd be very surprised if Varsho starts a game at catcher in April if Kirk and Jansen are healthy. Uh, because I just think. Like Kirk and Jansen are good. They're good catchers. Yep. Uh, and and Kirk and uh, Varsha is a good defensive outfielder. Great outfielder. So yeah. You're kind of hurting yourself in two places if you if you do that voluntarily. Yep. Um, but I, yeah, he's tough to value in dynasty. I've I've seen him. I'm in a it's dynasty mock season, and I've I'm in a couple of those, and I I've seen him go like I think I think he went like fourth round in one I was in. That's too high for me. Um, because I think he's just – he's much more ordinary offensively if you think of him as an outfielder. Makes sense. All right. Uh, we've taken a couple weeks off of this because of uh, the, the nature of the podcast. Just didn't, didn't have the time for it. But back to the uh, ADP game uh, started with the 11th round uh, a couple months ago. We're, we're now to the 19th round. And so Rob and I are going to – Pick one player to fade and one player we're buying who currently have 19th round ADPs for NFBC Draft Champions Leagues. Uh, so those players are Lane Thomas, Brandon Marsh, Miguel Vargas, Tyler Molly, Roancy Contreras, Ranger Suarez, Nick Gordon, Giovanni Gallegos, Dylan Floro, Jesse Winker, Yon Mancada. Sturry Ruiz, Charlie Blackman, Matt Mervis, and Jared Kalanick. And I told Rob, Mervis, just too obvious a fade here. He shows up as 19th round, but a lot of those drafts were back, you know, before they got Hosmer and Mancini. So um, I don't think either of us would draft Matt Mervis in the 19th round of a draft today, but that's that's kind of too obvious a fade. So, uh, Rob. Where would you, where would you draft him? Sorry. Well, I do think, I mean, I do think he is at risk of now being undervalued. Uh, I know that's, that's why I asked you because I've seen like the 400, 390 area for him recently. So I just wanted to know if that's like an area you think that's comfortable for him. I think it's pretty decent right there. Yeah. Um, Mid three hundreds, I think is a, is a good spot. Nice. Uh, looking cool. at his most recent, yeah, I mean he's he's been going he's still been going kind of high, so maybe he's not being discounted. I mean, at draft champions, obviously it's it's easier to sort of take him in the three hundreds and just assume that you're getting like five months out of him. But I mean, I don't even think you know if if you were like I've I've been saying this like if you were high on Matt Mervis, Eric Hosmer being on the Cubs shouldn't change anything for you, especially long term. Uh, and if you were low on Matt Mervis, then this is this can be sort of confirmation bias for you of why you were low on him. But uh, I believe in the skills. Great point. Um, so so who is your of those nineteenth round guys? 
Uh, who are you buying in the 19th round? I'm going to buy Nick Gordon. Um, I love the whole story. You know, again, stuff like the human part of the game that we don't get to quantify. We didn't really know that he was going through some intestinal issues and got that fixed out and he was able to put on weight and train the way he wanted to. You saw the power, uh, the power blossom. Um, his pulled fly ball percentage went up 10%, and his average exit velocity on those pulled fly balls went from 88 to 98. Um, he also had 29 barrels to nine homers. That's a 31% home run to barrel percent. Um, the league average is 56%. So I just think that maybe you look at the roster resource or the team lineup and you don't think he's got a full-time spot. I think he's going to be Luis Arias of last year and bounce around and cover everyone. And I think the speed and the power, um, I'm going to say a, a, a not a bold prediction, but maybe a bold statement. But if he had as many at-bats as Randy Arozarena, I think we would be picking him in the same range. I think he got that kind of output in him. Yeah, man i i was uh, I was low. I was getting Gordon in pretty much every draft uh, earlier in the off season, and then I kind of cooled off uh, after they sort of started bringing more bodies into the mix. Um, just because I'm a little just, I I'm with you. I'm 100 percent with you on the skills. Uh, I think he's he's a breakout candidate for sure. Um, and I guess I don't know where he's been going lately in drafts, but uh, I, I am starting to get a, a little bit more concerned than I was just about how much of a – if he struggles, does he get to keep playing through it, um, that type of stuff with him. Yeah, last last 11 DCs is 282, um, eight, average ADP with a higher 247 and as deep as 338. Um, but this is that whole skills overall thing. I just, they, they really seem loud to me and, um, I'll take a chance. These are the type of guys I'll take a chance on the PT with for sure. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the guy I've kind of moved to for that is for me has been, uh, like I've been really kind of into the idea of getting Christopher Morrell, but he, he does go like 40, 50 picks earlier than Gordon does. Um, so yeah, I like that. I like that call. I still think, yeah, if you're getting Gordon late 200s, that's that's still a, a nice pick. Um, my buy here, and I like a I like a handful of guys in this range. Um, I've I've really come around on uh, Yon Mankata. Um, I think the price here. It's pretty decent for a guy who's going to play every day uh, that, you know, last year it was such a, you know, it was just kind of a shit show. Like you had Tony La Russa <laughs> falling asleep and you had, everyone was injured. And um, I just think, you know, you get, everyone's kind of come to White Sox camp this year. I think it's going to be sort of like they all kind of got done with like a big hangover of, of the TLR tenure. And uh, if you get, you know, healthy seasons from from Tim Anderson or relatively healthy seasons from from Anderson and Eloy and uh, yeah I just I think it's it's a good spot for for Moncada. I think he's he's kind of fallen too far off of that down year last year and um it, you know it's kind of 
what are you getting from accounting set standpoint? I, I definitely understand that. Uh, but you know, this is, this is a guy who's 27 years old and former number one overall prospect and you're getting him this late. He's going to play every day still. Uh, I'm kind of, kind of just buying, uh, at least him being a guy you can leave in your lineup all season. And, and maybe there's even sort of a, a late career uh, breakout from Moncada here. I'm with you. I was never a Moncada guy either. And I just feel, and if there's any piece of like, if, if I can make one of the most laziest analysis that you can actually at the end of the season go, Oh, right. I was right about that. And it doesn't even have to be the skills. Just like you mentioned, the whole atmosphere, Tony LaRussa, like, we don't know, but we there's like a there's a good feeling I get that it's probably not the kind of clubhouse that would thrive for like younger players who just want to be themselves. You know, that's the way I think of it. Um, and that could be lazy, but I just feel like with Moncada, that's even just half of what like half of PT is there. I don't think Jake Berger is going to take it from him. And half of it is just those guys being able to be a little more themselves, a little more free. And like you mentioned, peak, peak athletic year right now. And he's definitely gone to a point where it's worth to take a shot for sure. Yeah. And I, and I say that even as someone who uh, maybe infamously actually likes Jake Berger, I just don't think, I just don't think, you know, Marcotte is not losing playing time in his age 27 season. And, right. uh, um, so we got to fade someone, uh, plenty mm-hmm. of options here. Uh, <laughs> who are you going to go with? Oh, it's going to be easy to pick on Kelnick, but, um, I'll go with, <laughs> Je- I'll go with Jesse Winker. And this is, this is maybe, I don't know if this, to me seems like easy too, just from the injuries alone, like neck and, um, neck and back, uh, and knee injury, right. Surgery on both. Um, that's not easy. I mean, I deal with both of those pains. It's a pain in the butt. Like I know he'll have top, top level, you know, help and conditioning and supplements and all that fun stuff. But um, they also seem like they are a pretty decently platoon heavy team. Now I don't know how much he actually plays, um, but I just look at the years in Cincy and see like the career home run, the fly ball and the BABIP that that was fueled by small American ballpark uh, hat tip to Bubba. Um, but then I also look at, I think a lot of what I like to do also besides the SGP, like I really love looking at uh, baseball HQ's Mayberry method system and Ron Chandler's BAB system that basically just buckets guys and in, in skills, you know, like who share a similar skill set and then you see their ADP and, um, and even, even if we just go to fan graphs or the, projected stats of this year but he's not much different than aj pollock and eduardo escobar like they're the same kind of players and i just don't see why i would take a risk on him coming back healthy getting enough pt and just being to what i think just an an average hitter oh yeah man i I might take AJ Pollock straight up over. <laughs> That's what I was gonna uh, say. I don't know. I know he's, he, going, he's going in like the four hundred. I know. So, like the one thing I noticed about Pollock is just that he really had such a decline in his effectiveness versus fastballs. I don't know if that's age or 
that's sticky. I don't know, but that's really the only thing that is different about him. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I might take him straight up. Well, I definitely think he's going to get more plate appearances. I mean, that you brought up good points about, uh, it's just, I, I hated that. Uh, I, I liked getting off of Colton Wong. Uh, I think, I think he was playing way over his head last year. I think he's closer to washed than people might realize, but, uh, I just making the pivot from Hunter Renfro to Jesse Winker. I just hated that. Um, like, I just think it's a downgrade and especially for a team that already had a glut of lefty hitting guys who need to DH. Um, yeah. I just hated that acquisition. I do, I do think he plays against righties and maybe there's a, a bounce back here. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think he plays against lefties. He's obviously not going to run. Um, Injury risk. So, yeah, I, I definitely get that one. Uh, yeah, Kelnick, too easy of a fade. Mervis, too easy of a fade. Uh, I I think um, I think I'm going to go with Ranger Suarez as my fade here. Uh, just kind of a bad combination of whip risk and lack of strikeout upside. Uh, I just would rather take a guy that has a more realistic chance of getting me to 150 strikeouts and, you know, just, just not the type of pitcher I want to be taking here. Um, and, you know, he's coming off a career high in innings, uh, definitely a, you know, good at generating weak contact, but um, that's not a defense that you want to be, putting the ball into play too much for. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not taking Suarez here. Yeah, and I think part of why I normally don't look this way either, um, Ranger Suarez's way, just it, it's an interesting group of pitching available in that range. You get like your Ross Dripplings and your Taiwan Walkers, which are similar skill sets to Ranger Suarez. It's like, which one do you want? But I also, um, you know, I think you have to keep in the back of your head like, I know a lot of people might not think the um, Andrew Painter might be realistic, but it might be, knowing Dave Dombrowski. And I really like what I saw from Bailey Falter as well last year. So there's also that potential of him possibly getting bumped out at some point if he's not effective, you know? So um, I think there's that risk too that's kind of in my head just because I like those, you know, I like Falter later on too. So I think that kind of hinges on my head. If they bring up Painter, I, w- I would think that Suarez, having done some relief stuff as well, might mm-hmm. be, they would just leave them with like five lefties in the bullpen too. That would be insane. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah. We're in the same boat there. I, I also am, I like Falter more at his cost than Suarez at his cost. That's for sure. Uh, I don't. I don't know how I'd handicap that. For it might just come down to who pitched better in the in the spring or who's pitching better whenever they give Painter the call. But uh, that's definitely in play. Uh, I I do like. There are some other guys here I, I like. Um, I do want to just note that like Tyler mm-hmm. Molly going in this range. Uh, I'm actually I'm I'm kind of buying Molly. Um, I know the shoulder thing is the reason he's going here is because he ended ended the year hurt. Right. Um, and I'm, I've probably been too uh, wary of injured pitchers at times. Um, maybe 
earlier on when I was playing fantasy baseball, not wary enough, but I think the market has put him a little too low here. Uh, just been waiting. We were waiting for years for him to get saved from great American and he does. And it sucks that he got hurt, but uh, from the reporting I can find, it's not, it's not firm reporting. You know, you're not, there aren't any sort of scare quotes that I'm finding regarding his recovery from that. And I just, I think it might be, you know, a guy who's going a hundred picks later than he should, if he shows up to spring and is healthy. Um, so. That's yeah. Funny. I like that call. No, because I mean, even if you just take a simple look at, 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 um, you know, like I just like to look at, you know, where, where was this guy last year, you know, and he, in the main event I'm talking about, he's, he's going at one thirty, you know, yeah. He's he's two years off of 180 innings and two 10 Ks. That's that's not easy in this in this league anymore. No. You know, there's not a lot of guys out there like that. And part of me is looking at okay, did they did they acquire Lopez? Because they are a little shit scared of 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 his shoulder. You know, because I don't think Bailey Ober deserves to be a six starting pitcher on a team. I really think he's a lot better than that. So I don't know if the concern there is on Molly or it's just like, Hey, let's just get this pitching depth that's available. Um, so I'm torn on that too, but yeah, I, I do think he's going to be an interesting, he, he might be one of the simple, the, the quickest risers from spring training, right? He's one of those guys. If we just see him pumping gas and he looks good. Yeah. Like you said, straight up the chart. Nice. Well, uh, this was awesome, Rob. Uh, really appreciate you taking so much time. Um, I, I had a blast. Uh, why don't you uh, let people know where they can find you and maybe give one more plug to that that big breaking news at the top of the show? Yes. Thank you, James. Um, first and foremost, you are you know one of my favorite humans out there, not just analyst, uh, but you're a respected player as well and you do everything the right way so i just want a hat tip to you um that you know you're, you're one of the guys i'm talking about when i'm saying that everyone's keeping me motivated you know you have a sick work ethic and um it shows in your work but um so thank you thank you go to wire for having me on um yeah i you can find me at deadpool hitter on twitter the pot the, the my podcast is the pull hitter podcast the page for that on twitter is at pull hitter pod I'm going, I'm working on setting up some kind of uh, Patreon service um, for the baseball season. I don't know when I'm going to be able to get it running. Um, hopefully I can be aggressive enough and get it done in by March and, um, you know, have some stuff to help for drafting. But the focus will be on in-season help. Um, just going to be focused on a lot of tools that will help you during your NFBC season. But then again, it has a trickle down to head to head and other leagues. I do a lineup pod where I focus in on the matchups from the two hitting period, Monday to Thursday and Friday to Sunday. And I highlight um, every single split that you'll have to worry about platoons, pitching matchups, so you can set your best lineup. I'm going to be doing a fab um, preview podcast. Um, there's going to be a lot of podcasting going behind the paywall that will help you um, just set yourself up for success. Um, I'm trying to emulate what a lot of my guests do on my podcast and just give us good 
tools and resources and like approach style to like be the, the best player because we can come to a good conclusion with player analysis but it's how to play the game and what to look for and bettering ourselves in the standings and yeah and i just um to reiterate what i said before bringing back uh two-thirds of the launch angle podcast uh that included rob silver and jeff zimmerman and hoping to get a podcast out next thursday for our first one and you should be able to find that on the original launch angle feed i'm working on doing that with uh, van lee to get that rolling so anyone who was subscribed to the launch angle podcast before will get it um and um yeah and they're, they're going to be part of the uh of the team as well during in season so um very excited for that um like i said just it's it's truly honor like i feel I feel blessed, you know, I, I, I do that. I started this as a little hobby and just getting to know so many great people and great fantasy baseball players is, is awesome. So um, just want to keep it going. So yeah, hope everyone can join me this year and uh, we'll grind ourselves to some wins, James. Yeah. Damn right. We will uh, <laughs> really, really appreciate it, Rob. You're, you're one of the best. Uh, love talking with you. Definitely follow Rob at Deadpool hitter and that'll do it for us. I'll be back with an episode next week, and, and we are back to five days a week here on the, the Road to Our Fancy Baseball Pod. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.